turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians, and let's go to chapter 5. We want to pick up our study in verse 15 uh, through 21, as we've been covering the book of Ephesians. This morning, we're going to be looking at walking in God's wisdom. Back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul let, left us with these words. Let me read it to you. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. And so the Apostle Paul has been teaching on this type of love through the chapter. Particularly uh, here in Ephesians 4 verse 32. We have been encouraged that this must be the manner of life as a Christian. Your manner of life as a Christian. That we walk in God's love in a daily basis. And so now, from verses 15 through 21, here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul so beautifully speaks about walking in God's wisdom. So we've learned how to walk in God's love. But now we need to learn to walk in God's wisdom. You see, we have the wisdom of the world. We go over here to the university, and we can get our degree, and we can come out with our degrees and such. And these are the wisdom of man. And to a certain extent, we need to know these things at the college level, the high school level, even at the grade school level. But be careful when the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of man, takes over the wisdom of God. And this obviously is what was happening at the church at Ephesus. And so Paul has to address it. We have to seek this wisdom of God. And then to walk in that uh, manner of life. To walk in God's wisdom. You see, I made enough mistakes in the world, and so did you. And so we had the wisdom of man. And we need to seek now the wisdom of God. That the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into His truth. And we're going to share that this morning. But notice as Paul begins here in verse 15, and he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Consider how your manner of life is not as fools, but as those who are wise. Wise in God. That's what Paul is saying. Now, walk circumspectly is a beautiful King James word, but listen to Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words. Walk accurately in the wisdom of God. Walk carefully in the wisdom of God. Walk diligently in the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. And he's going to be sharing this uh, through the chapter. Not in the wisdom of the world. Back in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul speaks to us about being a new creation in Christ Jesus. If I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, if you're born again of the Holy Spirit, there has to be change. There has to be transformation. I should no longer desire the wisdom of the world, and yet there's a certain extent that I have to understand of the world. But man, the wisdom of God, especially some of us parents, our children, how do we raise our children? How do we, you know, husbands, how do you raise the household? But you better have the wisdom of God because the wisdom of the world, look at the trouble we got into. And so Paul's going to be dealing with some issues. And then he speaks about our time past that we lost 
because of the wisdom of the world. Look at verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. What a blanket statement. What a true statement. The word to redeem, purchase back, buy back, take back. Listen, lost time, lost opportunities in the world. Why? Because we're living in evil days. I look back 28 years ago. Before I came to Christ, oh, I wish I could buy back some of those days of evil and that they would be days unto the Lord. But look at it in our Christian walk even. How many of us so easily get caught up back into the world? We're okay while we're here on Sunday morning. But what happens tomorrow at work, at school, at play, going over to the gym? We so easily can get back and trapped into the things of the world. Turn with me. I want to show you further. Go to 2 Timothy. Leave a marker there in Ephesians. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because Paul is speaking here of the days of evil to the church at Ephesus. Well, as he wrote the letter to young Timothy, a young pastor. Timothy was such a, a, a dear child to Paul. Paul considered him his spiritual son. And imagine that Timothy was struggling uh, in the ministry, and it's nothing new. But listen to the encouragement. Paul speaks of godlessness in the last days, the days of evil. I'm going to read out of the NIV because it just brings it out so rich. Paul says to Timothy, verse 1, he says, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last day, perilous times in the Greek, dangerous times. Dangerous times of sin. And it's a rhetorical statement here as he speaks about people. And so I'll fill it in. He begins in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves. People will be lovers of money. People will be uh, boastful. People will be proud. People will be abusive. People will be disobedient to their parents. People will be ungrateful. People will be unholy. Here's Paul speaking to young Timothy. Here's Paul uh, speaking to the church at Ephesus. The days of evil. All we have to do today in the 21st century, turn on your television. And listen to the news for about 20 minutes. In fact, 10 minutes. Are we living in days of evil? And the answer is yes. Look at verse 3 again. Rhetorical. Uh, people without love. People unforgiving. People that are slanderous. People with, without self-control. People that are brutal. People that are not lovers of the good. But basically, that are, people that are uh, lovers of things that are bad. Things that are evil. Then he goes on, verse 4. People that are treacherous. People that are rash. People that are conceited. Uh, people that are lovers of pleasure than, rather than lovers of God. And so Paul's hitting the nail on the head. Look at verse 5. Uh, people having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, these are Christian. These are church people. These are people just like you and me. We're coming into church. We're hearing God's word. But he says uh, these type of people having a form of godliness but denying its power. They're Christian by name only. Oh, I was water baptized by name only. Oh, I give to the church financially by name only. 
Am I truly born again of the Holy Spirit? Then Paul says, having this form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. It was a hard task when I was back in the world. And then when I come to saving grace. And then, you know, the Bible says not to fellowship with some of these. And it's tough because even some of these were your own family. I mean, it was set at our workplace. 4.30, after 10 hours of work, we would get out. We would head to the bar. We'd put our quarters there on the pool table. Set up a, a, you know, a beer and a shooter. And this was just normal. And all of a sudden, I come to saving grace. And something inside of me, the Holy Spirit, obviously said, you don't go there no more. I went and I, you know, I made a statement. Well, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to drink. So I put the quarter on the table and I ordered a Coke and everybody just about fell. And it doesn't take long for the Holy Spirit to show you, you don't belong there. That's not you anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. And so Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus, we're living, living in a time of evil. Paul is directing to young Timothy, hey, the days that we're in are evil. Unbelievable some of the things we see on the television concerning the news. And it's sad. Now let's continue in our text. Look at verse 17. Therefore... Paul is encouraging them, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Oh, we need the wisdom of God. Here's what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, and here's what the Holy Spirit is sharing with us this morning. Let us not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is in your life and my life. And so many times we ask that question, what is God's will for me? Have you gotten into the word? You come on Sundays, you come on Wednesdays, you could come on Sunday nights. You can turn on the television and get a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist. You can put on the radio, the same thing. But what are we getting on our own? When's the last time I literally picked this up and I said, okay, God, speak to me. I can guarantee you, he will speak to you. I'll tell you what, he'll speak to you a lot. And so Paul is giving us some insight here. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so as we get into God's word, he's going to show us his will. But look at the word unwise here. We are not to be unwise. We're speaking about spiritual things. We go to the university, we can learn all the math, we can learn all the English, we can learn all our sciences, we can learn, you know, all our history. I mean, we can become engineers, we can become doctors, lawyers, we can become nurses, you know, you name it. So we're not set to go to the university, we can go to a trade school, we can become the best carpenter, we can become the best plumber, and we draw the wisdom of the world. And we need work. We need to work with our hands. We need to bring in a paycheck and such. But Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, do not be unwise, but understand what is the will of God. Listen to the word unwise. Strong's Dictionary of Greek words said, be not mindless. Be not ignorant, church. Be not egotistical. Be not rash. Be not unbelieving. As a fool. As a fool. And so many times, uh, we become just like the world. 
You ever had somebody tell you, well, I don't believe in God? Listen to this verse. In Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Here's the Hebrew. The stupid one has said in his heart, there is no God. You know, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. He's there, trust me. And so imagine the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. But we so easily believe the world's standards. Now I want you to turn with me because I'm not finished with this verse. Go to Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 and just hang there. But Paul, back in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10, he says, since I've come to saving grace. So he's speaking to believers. We're speaking about walking in the wisdom of God. Since you've come to saving grace. There in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, uh, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And then I love verse 10. Paul says uh, to the church at Ephesus, we are his workmanship. If you look at the Greek word, we are his poema. We are his handiwork. Uh, the word poema in the Greek is where we get our English word. We're his poem. Imagine that you and I, we come to saving grace and we become God's handiwork. I'm his poem. And so many times I, I look at myself, you can look at yourself, and, and you, you, we just think we're worthless. Man, I wish I could change this, and I, I wish I could change that. Today in our society, if you have the money, you can get a new nose, you can get new ears, you can get new cheeks, and we're not going to mention the other new things you can get. But one of these days, what's going to happen? I'm waiting for the day, excuse me, but Michael Jackson's nose is going to fall, and what's he going to do? All the glue in the world, man. But they're just, this is the world's standards. And so God looks at you, and he looks at, he made something in his image. We're created in God's image, the Bible says. And so we're so quick. Uh, look what Paul says uh, to the church at Colossae now. Verse, chapter 1, look at verse 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since uh, the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Paul's praying for the church at Colossae. And to desire that you might be filled uh, with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. I come to Christ now. And I want to know the wisdom of God. I want to know the oracles of God. I want to read the scriptures. I want the scriptures to be taught to me, uh, to be preached to me. I want change in my life. I want transformation. I used to just go to church and sit. Praise God, you come here and you bring your Bible. Mark in it, write in it. Bring a ledger, take notes. Let God speak to you. Look at verse 10. He says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Galatians chapter 5, excuse me, Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. There in verses 22 and 23. That God would bring forth in my life and your life the fruit of the Spirit. And he begins with love. Agape love. Look at verse 11, still in Colossians now. And he says, Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto the patience and longsuffering, with joyfulness. 
How do I do this? I know I'm saved, but how do I do this? How do I walk in the wisdom of God? How do I desire this changed life? How does God speak to me? How do I draw into God's will? You see, that's the Holy Spirit's job. Now turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 16, and just kind of hang there. But let me read this verse to you. In Colossians 3.15, I'm still dealing with Colossians, but I jump over a few chapters. He says, allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts, church. Paul is saying to the church at Colossae, let the peace of God to rule in your hearts. Listen, uh, the peace of the world has ruled our hearts. The wisdom of the world has ruled our hearts. But he says, now let the peace of God to rule in your hearts. Listen to the Greek word to rule. Let, let the peace of God prevail. Let the peace of God govern my heart, your heart. The world had my heart for too many years. You see, Jesus sent to the church his Holy Spirit. He's called the Comforter, the Paracletos, the one that comes alongside. He has sent him as our teacher. You have to understand the early church. Now, you should be at the Gospel of John chapter 16. Look at verse 13, but let me set it up for you. You see, Jesus knows that his time is near. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be accused. He knows that he's going to be beaten because he's the son of God. He's already, he, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. He asks that this cup of death would be taken, and it's not taken. And he says, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knows that he's going to die. But he's going to leave this planet, this earth. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. On the third day, he will resurrect. The Bible says that the graves were open there at the conclusion of the book of Matthew. And imagine everybody that was in shield now came out, those that know God. And here's a bunch of uh, old dead people walking around now in Jerusalem. The Bible says there's a 40-day post-resurrection. And then the ascension into heaven. So Jesus knows, and he's going to leave them not like orphans. But he's going to leave them the Holy Spirit. And church, that Holy Spirit was poured out in the book of Acts in chapter 2. It was the prophecy that was fulfilled from Joel chapter 2. That same Holy Spirit is still in the church today. Be careful with those that say it was only for the apostolic days. God forbid that the Holy Spirit's not with us today. We need the Holy Spirit. Notice verse 13. You should be... At the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 13 says, When he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you, underline that, into all truth. He will not uh, speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will tell you things to come. The Holy Spirit is here to guide me. To guide me into what? Into all truth. To guide me in that way of wisdom. To guide me in that way of God's will, not my will. But listen to the word guide here. In the Greek structure, it changes just a little bit. And it's good. The Holy Spirit, he will guide you. He will teach you all things. He will teach you all truth. That's what we're doing here this morning. As I read, as I make commentary, 
The Holy Spirit is teaching us. When you open the book and you read and you contemplate, the Bible says in Psalm 1, the man meditated on God's word day and night. As we meditate in God's word, he will speak to you. You remember years back, some of us, that we grew up in, in Catholicism for me, and being in parochial school, we were told not to read the Word of God. That was the priest's job. My Bible says that it's your job, it's my job. Husbands, the Bible says that you are the prophet, priest, and king of the home. We'll touch that next week. It's our responsibility. Man, I tell you, God's Word is precious. God's word is powerful. It's sharper, we're told in Hebrews, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword. And it cuts. So the Holy Spirit is my teacher. Look at verse 14. He will glorify me, Jesus said. He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. God is going to teach us. God is going to show us. God's word will show you his will. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. And all we have to do is ask. I love when we get into the word of God. And, you know, there's times when we can easily say, well, you know, I haven't heard God's voice for a long time. Well, and I have to share it with you. You haven't opened God's word for a long time. Because I open and he speaks to me. In fact, sometimes I have to close it. I go, oh, you've told me too much, Lord. (laughs) God's word, it's real, church. It's there. Fall in love with God's word. I would challenge you, read, study Psalm 119. It's a long psalm. And it speaks about the power of God's word. Fall in love with God's word. Now, Paul is setting this all up because there were some errors at uh, the church at Ephesus. Let's go back to our text and go to verse 18 now. We're to be filled with God's Spirit. We're to be walking in the wisdom of God. Not the wisdom of the world because he's going to declare in verse 18 the wisdom of the world. And Paul tells the church at Ephesus, the Holy Spirit sharing with us this morning, and do not be drunk with wine in which is uh, dissipation or excess, but be filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Here's the best translation of the beginning of this verse. Be not drunk, period. Now, be careful because the Bible doesn't teach that you can't have, you know, a glass of wine. The Bible doesn't teach that you can't have, you know, a, a glass of beer. The Bible says not to be drunk in excess. Now, some of us with our backgrounds, we don't want to touch that stuff. I I just try to stay away from it. I don't need that in my life. Because if any one of you have ever struggled with drunkenness, you know what I'm talking about. You can smell a beer. I can hear it when they open it. They don't do it that way. Now they do it this way. But I can still hear it. It's there. I told you before, it's, you know, I'm watching the commercial, and it's the Budweiser commercial, and the Budweiser is going, come here, Bob. Scratch and sniff. He knows exactly what you like. And so Paul says, and be not drunk with wine, and which is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk, period, because it will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control your life. I don't have the statistics in front of me, but there's way too much drinking in our United States of America. In fact, I read one statistic that we have surpassed, you know, uh, France because France is known for their wine. Well, uh, the winos now are in the United States of America. And it's way too much. And I'm speaking to you this morning from experience because this is where I came from. Here's the word, be not drunk in excess. When I looked at that in the Greek, it blew me away. The Greek word means do not be drunk in unsavedness. That's, that's what the uh, Vine's Dictionary said. We're drunk to the point I'm not saved no more. Now, we can go through that whole issue, uh, can I lose my salvation? I don't think so, but I have to ask the question, were you truly, really saved? If you keep drinking, keep getting drunk? In excess? Do not be drunk with wine in excess, your unsavedness, but be filled. Listen to the Greek word. Be satisfied in God's spirit in your life. Be satisfied. You know, back in the 60s, everybody was getting high on something, right? Timothy Leary comes into the picture, and he says, take this. Other people were saying, take that. And sad, but a whole generation of people got caught up into it. And now as a Christian, listen, and I don't mean disrespectful, but we should be able to get high on God. We should be able to get high on his word. We should be able to get high on his Holy Spirit. Man, I tell you, it just takes me uh, to the top when I see somebody come to salvation. It just takes me to the top when I see somebody set free from drugs, from alcohol, from perversion. It just sets me on high when I see changed life. When I see God transform a homosexual and a lesbian, and he does. God is in the changing business. You see, I struggled for many years with alcohol. And so I know all these verses. And so Paul says, be not drunk with wine in excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 23. But let me read these two verses to you while you're drawing there. In 1 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says, no thief, no swindler, no greedy person, no slanderous person, no drunkard. Listen will inherit the kingdom of God. I'll tell you, when I read that, it floored me. It frustrated me. In fact, I can still remember reading my New Living Translation, and it said, no drunkard's going to get into the kingdom of God, because I thought I was a good person. I threw the Bible across the room. I was frustrated. So that's not fair. I'm not that bad. I took care of my wife, took care of my children. I, I pay my bills. You see, my dad was a bad drunk. My dad beat on my mom. My dad... Uh, would lose so many jobs. When I thought he'd miss work on Monday, uh, I said, well, you know, we're, maybe we're going to go somewhere. And it would always turn out. My mom said, your dad's home because he got fired. And he always got fired for the same thing, drunkenness at work. And so we follow suit. In the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 27, uh, John the writer says, No one who defiles, listen, no one who lies will enter the kingdom of God. Only those that are written in the book of life. 
So I thought about it, man. No drunkard's going to get into heaven. No liar's going to get into heaven. I said, I lost. Because I lie. And I drink too much. And so the Bible's specific. Now listen to the proverb. And if you're struggling with drink, be honest with yourself. Tell the Lord. Look at Proverbs 23 now. Look at verse 29. When I read this years ago, uh, again, I says, this, this guy that wrote the Proverbs is speaking to me. He's talking about drinking. He begins in verse 29. Who has woe? He's asking a question. Who has sorrow? He's asking a question. Who has strife? He's asking a question. Who has complaints? He's asking a question. Who has needless bruises? I've been there. He's asking a question. Remember this one, guys? Who has bloodshot eyes? You're sucking in Visine in the morning, trying to get the redness out. Sad. And then he goes on. Listen. He goes on into verse 30. Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. So in other words, you're not satisfied with the wine one night. You're drinking wine. You're drinking whiskey. You're drinking beer. You're mixing it all up. Watch what happens. Verse 31. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, or when it goes down smoothly. Isn't it interesting? When you watch a commercial, they make it so beautiful. And all these people, just because they have a deep glass and it's for wine, they, they just look classic. They're a bunch of winos. They might as well be drinking, you know, uh, Ripple, remember? Never mind, that's another story. Do not gaze at wine when uh, it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, uh, when it goes down smoothly. I know people that buy boxes of wine. I don't understand that. That's another story. Watch what wine does to you. Watch what drinking does to you. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Remember Monday mornings? Okay, watch this. Your eyes will see strange things and your mind image confusing. Imagine confusing as things. You will be like one sleeping on a high sea, lying on top of the rigor. You ever been in a boat? That's what it's speaking of. You ever been drunk in bed? And the, oh, stop. The ceiling just spins. Am I the only one? Come on, some of you, I know. The enemy just nails it. Verse 35. Oh, God, I remember this so vividly. Uh, they hit me, and you will say, I'm not hurt. Uh, they beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us on Monday morning, oh, God, I'm never going to do it again. And basically until next Friday, right? But go back up to verse 33. Your eyes will see strange things. I thank God when the Lord took drinking away. I, I didn't struggle with the DTs. That's what they call it. But I had friends. I had a friend named Jack that was trying to quit, and, and he asked me to help him. And I said, let's, let's, let's work at this. And man, he saw spiders. <laughs> he saw spiders crawling all over him. He says, get them off of me. These things happen. I talk to other people. They see elephants. They see monkeys. They see snakes. I go, where have you been, the zoo? <laughs> no, just getting drunk. And so think about it. The enemy has us. It's crazy. And so you read the scriptures. 
And the scriptures tell you exactly. Now, again, I'm not here and telling you you can't drink. I'm telling you that I don't want to drink because of my past. But you, if you want to have a glass of wine, don't worry about it. You want to have a cocktail? The Bible doesn't say you can't. But watch out with excess. Well, Pastor Bob, I'm just going to drink one bottle of wine. And you go buy those big old... I'm not the only one, huh? Hey, you get around these things. My mom told my dad, Bob, I just want you to drink one bottle of wine. He brings home a gallon. Hey, we know all the tricks, guys. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 19. Again, we're going to walk in the wisdom of God. We have to make separation from these things. And I love this. Now, he spoke about drinking, and, and he spoke about, you know, the things of the world. The wisdom of the world. And now, if we're in the wisdom of God, look, look what happens here. Verse 19 says, Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs, uh, singing and making a melody in your heart uh, to the Lord. That's the beauty of coming here on time and partaking of the worship. I know there's people that come, right? I want to hear the message. Man, you need the worship. The worship prepares our hearts for the message. And man, those words are up there for a reason. Let them get into your heart. Let them get into your mind. And so because we chose to walk in God's wisdom, we chose to walk in God's spirit, you will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and even with yourself, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Now, if you've been a Christian for a time, and you come and you partake of the words, and maybe you can say, like a lot of us say, well, I don't have a good voice. That's okay. The psalmist says that God loves a, 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 one that makes a joyful noise unto the Lord. One that makes noise to the Lord. Let me tell you something. When my dad got saved, he took up the guitar. He knew one string, one chord, and he used to sing all the time. There's an old song. He used to sing, Do Lord, Do Lord. And he'd bring out the guitar, and literally my brother would leave out the back door. And I'd go, oh, Lord, help my dad to learn another song. Help my dad to change chords. And all my ne cousins, nephews, and they all tried to help him, but he, he just he was tone deaf. But he was singing to the Lord, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And so some of us that have been Christians long enough, and I go back to the old school. I still love the old Calvary Chapel Maranatha songs. And, and they just come to me sometimes. And, and, you know, Spirit of the Living God was a song that was so precious. There are so many others. But, we, you know, it just comes to me. And we just bring it forth. Spirit of the Living God, fall afresh on me. And remember this one, if you're from the old school. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Now, these are choruses, and many of them are taken from Scripture. And so when we're going through the Psalms, uh, many times those Psalms are speaking to my heart because uh, a lot of those songs were taken directly from the Psalms. But what about hymns? If you've ever watched the Billy Graham telecast, they bring forth that song at the end, Come As You Are. That should be in your heart. What about how great thou art? 
The old rugged cross, I love that when I hear it. And who doesn't know at least the first stanza of amazing grace? How sweet the sound who saved the wretch like me. And so no matter what you're going through, and, and sometimes when I, I'm at the stop sign and I'm just worshiping God, I, I've got Chuck Gerard on. I still love that old music. And, and I'll just sing. And then I look over, the guy next to me is kind of like, whoa. What's going on? And yet a bunch of kids will come up with the hip-hop music and the car's just bouncing. That's okay. But see, the music, the music gets into you. Back in Ezekiel chapter 28, Satan, Lucifer, before his fall, he was in charge of the music. Music has a way in our lives. Man, an oldie but goodie will come on the radio, and I can go back to 1962. I can go back to 1964. I can go back to 1963. I know it. Now, some of you don't understand oldies but goodies, but you put on a Beatles song, you're going, oh, you're there. It took you back already. It has such power. Some of you country western. You hear one, you go, oh, the dog came back. The, the car came back. You know, you, never mind. You've heard some of those, huh? <laughs> Speaking to one another, listen, in psalms and hymns. There's a passage of scripture that ministers to my heart. I want you to see it. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16, and I just want to draw the story. But let me set it up for you. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're ministering God's word. I mean, people, Lydia was the first convert there. And others, I mean, it was so beautiful what's going on. They're ministering to the sick and to the lonely. And so, anyway, they get arrested. They get put in jail. And they're beaten. And then they're strung up and, and put in, in, in some kind of bonds. But look at verse 25, Acts chapter uh, 16. All because they preached the gospel. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Then you go on. I'm going to paraphrase it. An earthquake comes. The jailer was going to kill himself because the doors opened. And he thought he lost all his prisoners. And Paul cries out to him. And he says, don't harm yourself. We are still here. It was such an effect on the jailer. He also heard the songs. That he said in verse 30. Look at it. The jailer said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Music has that influence. The testimony of what you're going through, the suffering, the pain, the agony. A lot of times, uh, the outside world, even family, friends, and loved ones, they can't understand your dad's dying of cancer. And you're not all tore up over it. Your mom's dying of cancer, and you're not all tore up over it. Because you know where they're going to go. And we have that peace in our heart. That peace that passes all understanding. And so the Philippian jailer, because he heard the testimony of these guys singing unto the Lord. What must I do to be saved? Let's go to verse 20 in our text now. And again, if we have the wisdom of God, listen. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the principle of how we pray. 
we pray to the Father, listen, in Jesus' name. But church, let me encourage you here this morning. You're a Christian. You're a believer in Christ. Learn to give thanks unto the Lord for everything. Oh, Lord, thank you for my salvation. Lord, thank you for my spouse's salvation. Lord, thank you for my children's salvation. Lord, thank you for healing me, Lord. Thank you that my dad went home to be with you, but he knew you, Lord. Thank you. Oh, it is so important, church, to be thankful. Yes, we give thanks for our food, and, you know, at night you get with the kids. Now I lay me down to sleep. Those are all good. But what about thanksgiving unto the Lord? Lord, thank you for the job you've given me. Thank you for the mind you've given me. Thank you for the hands that I do work. Thank you for my studies at the university. Thank you, Lord, that I'm able to provide. Lord, without you, I can't do it. Turn with me to another passage. Uh, go to 1 Thessalonians and go to chapter 5. And listen to uh, Paul's heart to the church at Thessalonica. Now, the, the church at Thessalonica was a young church, about three weeks in the Lord. They were on fire for Jesus. And so Paul's coming to the conclusion of the first letter. And he encourages them with some beautiful insight here, uh, an exhortation of love, if you may. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse 16. These are classics. Paul says, rejoice always. Simple phrase. Basically in the Greek, be cheerful, be happy, be glad at all times. How? In Jesus. In Jesus. I remember when I came to Saving Grace, and my brother yet hadn't come to Christ, and uh, I went to pick him up, and he's all mad. He had a flat tire. And I says, Ed, don't worry about it, man. Let's fix it. Not a problem. He was just mad because he was going to be late. You know how that is. I know some of you guys don't get mad. And then I had to open my mouth. I said, we ought to pray to the Lord that you get another flat. You have two flat tires. He says, what's wrong with you? That Jesus stuff is freaking you out. You know, I guess I shouldn't have said it, but I was cheerful. I was happy. Let's fix the flat, man. And then look at verse 17. Praying, pray without ceasing. Now, I learned that years ago. Pray without ceasing. Uh, the Greek is telling us, pray consciousness uh, of prayer. In other words, my mind is in prayer. Uh, another translation, Vine's Dictionary says the word ceasing, always reoccurring. Always recurring the prayer. Lord, I just want to, you can pray as you drive. You can pray, you go to a restaurant. I've learned to read people. You can see it. You can see people that need the, the joy of the Lord. There's anger, there's strife. I, there's been times when I've, you know, I, I, I hear the voices, you know, there at the restaurant, and I might drop off of my card and just say, hey, you know, give me a call. We'll talk. I, I I'm sorry, but I could only hear, I heard your, your conversation. You're hurting. Let me help. I can help. Now, sometimes you get, well, so who, who are you? But sometimes you go, thank you. Thank you. When you pray for your food at the restaurant, do you pray for your waitress or waiter? 
Lord, bless our waitress. You open your eyes, they're right there. <laughs> they're crying. Hey, they're hurting just like anybody else. And so be thankful. Pray without ceasing. And then listen to verse 18. In everything, church, in everything. One flat tire, two flat tires, in everything. Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's be thankful. Not just for our meals, but for everything. Let's be thankful for the jobs that we have. Be thankful for the ministry that we have. Husbands and wives, teach your children the principle of prayer. Teach the children Thanksgiving. We always gathered the family together and we would share with them. God has provided this. Be thankful. Let them see it. Now, let's come to the conclusion of this verse. Because it says, the, notice the principle of how we pray. It says we're to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Now, that, that's a powerful statement because a lot of people want to pray in God. But God encompasses a lot. You see, according to people that call God, God, uh, to them, we're, pray we're praying to Allah. We're praying to Buddha. We're praying to Confucius. I mean, the, the list goes on. My Bible says that I pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Listen to this verse. But as I'm going to read this verse, turn with me to John chapter 14, the gospel. But this sets it up. We pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. Paul says, For in Him, speaking of Christ, in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the manifestation of God. The Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, they're all one. That's the... The Trinity, hard to conceive sometimes. How does it work? I don't know, but it's there. Now, you should be at John chapter 14. Look at verse 8. Philip comes to Jesus, and he says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet... Uh, you have not known me, Philip? Slight rebuke. He says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Radical statement. So how can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the work. Verse 11, believe me that I am uh, in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. The miracles, the signs, and the wonders that Jesus did. Now, we spoke earlier that Jesus died, was buried, and the third day he resurrected. We know, according to Scripture, there's a 40-day post-resurrection before his ascension into heaven. For 40 days, everybody in Jerusalem and surrounding areas saw the risen Christ. Did the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, 
Did the Sanhedrin, did they come to know the Messiah? You know, I've heard people say, Lord, just show me a sign and I'll follow you. Hey, go back to Genesis 1 and 2, the sign of creation. Come on. People want a sign. If God came and he came in a thunderclap and lightning and fire, and if you wrote your name on a wall, would you come to saving grace? Look at so many. They saw the miracle signs and went, how many people that the 4,000, the first ones, that ate from the two loaves of bread and the fish, how many came back to serve the Lord? How many were there when uh, his friend Lazarus comes out of the grave after three days? Loosen him, Jesus said. Take off his grave clothes. How many followed Christ after? You see, miracle signs and wonders don't save us. It's the power of God's Holy Spirit that saves us. And so Philip is asking a great question. Show us the Father, and it suffices. Philip, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. My Father and I are one. Can you just see the religious leaders gathering stones? They want to wipe Jesus out. (laughs) Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through me. I understand this now. You understand this because I have the wisdom of God. You have the wisdom of God. And the Holy Spirit in me is teaching me. Leading me and guiding me into all truth. Beautiful. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 21. Now, verse 21 is actually next week's verse, but it was put in here. And so anyway, a lot of next week we'll be speaking about marriage, but let me just read it to you. Submitting one to another in the fear of God. This verse goes with next week's teaching on marriage where Paul writes in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And so we'll develop that next week. But the wisdom of God. Now there's a beautiful story, and I want to just touch on it. We've got a few minutes left. Turn with me to 1 Kings, Old Testament, chapter 3. God comes to Solomon in a dream. There at Gilead, at Gibeon, excuse me. Comes to him in a dream. Solomon is going to be made king of Israel. And God asks him, what is it that I can do for you? What do you want from me? I want you to think about that here uh, this morning. If God asked you, what is it that you want from me? What would you respond? I mean, there's a lot of things that we think of, but I love what this man did. And so we're going to begin uh, at verse 5, I believe. He talks about bringing in the, the animal sacrifices. I didn't mark down the verse. I think it begins up at verse 4. And so 1 Kings chapter 3, God came to Solomon in a dream at Gibeon. King Solomon went to Gibeon to offer 1,000 burnt sacrifices unto the Lord. There the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and he said, Ask what you shall, and I will give it to you. 
Loaded question. Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness, and uprightness. Uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him. You have given him uh, with you. You have... You have continued his great kindness for him, and you have given him a son, excuse me, to sit on his throne as it is to this day. Then look at verse 7. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am, little, I am a little child. I do not know what I'm going to, what's going to become the outcome. In other words, he was, he was a rookie. He was new at this. Verse 8 says, And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Verse 9 says, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart. This is what Solomon asked. Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this people, this great people of yours, and so basically, listen, Solomon was asking God for wisdom. I mean, he's going to govern all these people. Lord, give me wisdom. Now, Solomon was considered, listen, the wisest man in the world. But something happened to Solomon. Here he's young, getting ready to get into ministry. And Lord, give me wisdom. And he does. But at the end of his life, interesting, the man of wisdom, uh, the, land, the man that Queen of Sheba came from a distance to seek advice from him. We're told in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon has 700 wives, uh, 300 concubines. Not a lot of wisdom there, guys. Not a lot of wisdom. And what happened to these marriages, they would say Solomon, because he married out of Judaism. Solomon, build me a temple to my God. And Solomon went out and built temples all over Israel to please his wives. Solomon got into a lot of trouble. When you read Solomon's life, I believe that Possibly he wanted to commit suicide. You, you find that in the book of Ecclesiastes. Because he had messed up his life so bad. He forgot the wisdom of God. And church, there's a danger. God gives us wisdom, but we dabble back into the world. God gives us his Holy Spirit, but we dabble back into the world. We so easily can get trapped and so this morning, walk in the wisdom of God. Let the Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you into all truth.